the Senate Judiciary had a meeting last week about prison and where we were at with the COVID. And you had Kamala Harris, Diane Feinstein, you had Blumenthal, you had, and the head of the BOP there who could not communicate or articulate what they give an inmate when they first check in. We give them some soap. Well, the soap is like this big. The paste is this big and a comb. And that's supposed to help stop COVID and keep this person clean until they're able to go to commissary, which they've locked down. (laughs) So he couldn't even articulate it. it. It was a joke. And then when they were pressed for numbers about how they were screening, what they had set up. It's just, again, it's that corporate paragraph communication person just shoving it out there. And it's all lies. Thanks for stopping by the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast. I'm the host of the show, Sean Dustin. If this is your first time listening, welcome. If you're returning, welcome back. It's good to have you with us today. There are a couple of ways that you can help support the show, one of which is if you know somebody out there who would benefit from listening to the show or an episode in this show, send them over. I'd be happy to have them as listeners. Also, you can subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast platform. And if I'm currently not available on the platform you listen to, send me an email and I will try to get added to it. I have merchandise available now, hoodies, t-shirts, mugs, and other items. This is another way you can help support the show and the show will get a portion of the proceeds. You can find direct links to iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, merchandise, and anywhere else we are online at the bottom of the show notes. There are currently opportunities right now to win show merchandise over in my Facebook group. Uh, there's a challenge going on over there right now. And to get there, just go to the Linktree link and find my YouTube group tab in the Linktree and uh, follow it over there. Join the group and there'll be instructions pinned to the uh, top of the timeline there. Another thing I have going on right now, too, is I will be all of my interviews going forward will be uh, live streams on Facebook Live on my timeline there, as well as the podcast platforms and YouTube as well. So there'll be three places you can catch this. You can catch it live uh, and you can ask questions, um, you know, if you and in, in interact uh, uh, with my guests and myself uh, live, or you can wait for the podcast, or you can wait for the YouTube production of it. That's about it. That's all I have uh, for now. Um, so without further ado, let's get to the show. This is the Nowhere to Go But a Podcast, and I'm your host, Sean Dustin. Today we are talking to Holly Coleman, and Holly is a paralegal and she's currently working for the uh, Dallas uh, Public Defender's Office and she was also a uh, uh, inmate. uh, I'll let you tell that part. (laughs) 
that's fine. I'll introduce myself. My name is Holly Coleman. Um, I am a former federal inmate. I was sentenced to 21 months uh, for one count of wire fraud. I was an executive assistant at a large tech company. I supported very high level senior vice presidents that reported into the CEO of the company. And actually that company was under audits and under internal review and not just in the United States, but in Europe and South America. And I was, I didn't know this, but what we did and what my crime is related to is at that level, you wine and dine your customers. You take internal and external uh, people and you fly them very all high level senior vice and when I say that reported into wine and dine I mean to a very large extent so everything filtered on my credit cards and then of course expense approvals went just to my bosses for them to approve and then on to finance too and <laughs> so also with this um, at the time uh, this tech company was going through a reorganization and I knew that they were going to be offering packages to several people. I took a package. I left the company. I went to work for another tech company. And a year later on my birthday, I had 13 FBI agents on my front door. Wow. They didn't have um, an arrest warrant, but they had a search warrant. And what they were looking for were goods or services that were purchased on those corporate cards that would be related to me. They didn't find anything. Um, they left. They did take our phones and our laptop to go through, and those were returned. But when you go through this, the trauma of having 13 FBI agents at your front door, you know, I've never even uh, more than a traffic ticket in my life. Um, you're traumatized, and not, you have to hurry up and figure out what you're going to do because the FBI has been there, and you know something's coming. So I had to find an attorney. And I actually went to work for my attorney once I got out, and I'll explain that. But um, you have to hurry up and find an attorney. I then uh, was notified by the, uh, the prosecutor's office that I was being investigated. Um, their total amount that they were looking at saying that I personally spent was $2.4 million. What? And that was, <laughs> I know. But what that was... And so I want people to know, because he's what, this is what prosecutors do, that was my entire spend over 12 years at Hewlett-Packard, whether it was a pencil or a meeting or anything. So they just lumped it all together and said $2.4 million. And we're like, well, one, I was blown away because I'm like, that's insane. Finally, we got to the discovery, and the discovery was a spreadsheet. Really? No receipts, no nothing, a spreadsheet. And in there, it said who attended these meetings, what it was for, and you'll see that my boss had her husband, her kids. We had the head of FedEx. We had this. We did everything. So I had been smart and kept some evidence, meaning I had a lot of things that I had put in for expense reports still saved. And I put that together in a five inch binder and we met with the FBI and the prosecutor shoved it across at them. They said, no, nah, we don't need to look at this. Oh, and by the way, they pulled me in on the pretense that they were investigating my boss. And that's not true. Once I got there, it was very apparent. They wanted to talk to me and it was about me. 
They shoved the five inch binder back and said, we're going to take a break. When we came back, it went from 2.4 all of a sudden down to under a million dollars. So they had already what they were seeking. Um, when you're in the fads, if you take it to trial, there's one thing, one thing that they could possibly nail you on that is little gray. I mean, you're, you're guilty. So that's why these prosecutors, you know, they push these plea deals right at you. They don't have to do any work because if I was going to take it to trial, my attorney told me I need another hundred grand and more likely you're going to get more time. And it's to plead in you you know, they're going to come after you for these other incidences in here that could be construed personal. So you have to again move fast and you're traumatized. You don't know what to do. You know how to react. Um, you have to accept responsibility quickly because you do get a downward departure if you accept responsibility. Mm-hmm. So I had to think about it and the plea deal. And so I took the plea deal. So I am very well versed now with how the system works inside, how it's rigged, how (laughs) even if you have a public federal defender, how difficult it is. That's why you have the the prosecutors have a 98.2% conviction rate because people take plea deals. And you have to eat what's in the narrative. Excuse me. Um, so it typically um, was sent to Victorville, California, which is a women's camp. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is located on a complex which has a men's penitentiary and two men's medium facilities. To prepare myself, I hired a prison consultant, and I know them all in the industry, and I paid a lot of money to help prepare me, and it was a man, and he did not prepare me well. <laughs> so... It was an eye-opening experience, again, when you have a white-collar person show up at camp, and right away, you just see the ineptitude of the Bureau of Prisons um, from the officers on down, and just how, where they're telling the public one thing about, here's what we really do with these inmates, here's how we really rehabilitate them, here's how we give them the skills to go out, here's the medical we we provide them, and it's all a joke. It is zero. Mm -mm. So while in yeah, while in, you have to develop a release plan, and you know I have to think about what I'm going to do afterwards. And there's so many restrictions that are going to come afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, again, it, it makes somebody—it's a lifelong sentence when you're a felon in the federal system. It, it's, that's why we say it's lifelong because there's other obstacles and barriers that you're going to have. So I see these women low level. There's no reason to have people like myself or these other women at a camp be incarcerated. None. There should be diversion programs and we should be able to take the money that the BOP gets and have a punitive aspect to it, but develop these programs for drug rehabilitation. Um, They say they have that inside. They have, which, you know, some people will say it was stool kind of to get out earlier as well. Yeah. We kind of, Um, we kind of lost that one. So for those that didn't hear that, it's a program called RDAP. Uh, in the federal system. And usually you can't even qualify for RDAP until you have, because I know there's a woman that I'm, I'm interview, I'm talking with now. And she said that like, she's got, they gave her 400 months 
on a conspiracy charge when she didn't even like, like they got a whole bunch of rounded up a whole bunch of people. And then everybody started telling on each other to reduce sentences. And, and, you know, she was, she ended up, uh, you know, when the music stopped, she didn't have a seat. So she's the one that got the shit into the stick. Let's talk about conspiracy because going back to right now, you're seeing a lot. What I say is prosecutors are going after the low level, you know, low hanging fruit. Yep. Yep. Um, so, for example, you could have somebody that is running an ambulance company. It's a private company, but they contract. And you've got the person in the billing department. And everybody gets popped or the owner gets popped for doing something wrong with the billing and what they're charging. And they're going to take everybody. And it's conspiracy. And actually, conspiracy is worse than if you did the crime. You get Yeah, because you can't prove it. That if right, it's it's hearsay, but conspiracy. You have to look at it that way. If you have a conspiracy charge, it's almost worse than if you actually did the crime because the narrative and it's just going to give you way more time. It, it's like an enhancement. So it, I learned that so much with the women that I was in that they've gotten you know conspiracy to commit no evidence. Um, it wasn't them. But they were part of it, or somebody said, "Okay, it's them," and to lower their sentence. It is harsh, and that's why I work with women. That again, it's trying to mitigate the conspiracy charge is is huge. It's it's almost <laughs> it's it's almost impossible. But when you see these conspiracy charges and they're long lengths of sentence, it's not these short ones. They may be still qualified for a camp, but they're long and they are. This is an archaic sentencing guideline chart that needs to be revised. We talk about criminal justice reform all the time. Right now, the way it works is it takes your Congress person to go in and help try and enact a law to make this change. So the judges do have a structure and we're able to sentence somebody appropriately. The conspiracy charges, like I said, are archaic. Not just regular types of sentences. These are really bad. So, I mean, <laughs> it went back to really the mob days mm-hmm. of what they were, the, you know, trying to catch a lot of the mobsters. So that tells you how far conspiracy goes. Yeah, and that's really what it was designed to. Because when they couldn't catch these guys, uh, you know, legitimately, they had something in their bed. They had an ace up their sleeve yeah. to be able to. Oh, okay. You know, what did they get Al Capone on? They got him on a. Uh, uh, fraud right mail fraud that's what he ended up going to right. going to prison for because he 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 had his ship so tight that they couldn't get in they couldn't get him on anything so yeah i mean 33 years they gave her and at the very best she was a high level addict you know she, okay. she wasn't a high she wasn't a high level uh uh drug uh runner or you know and and she had a criminal history too but i mean i sold you know she sold meth but i sold meth too and when i got in trouble i i sold to an undercover five times um an ounce a piece i got on a first felony which they should have taken me to jail after the first one not not let it go five more times so they could stack the charges on me so i couldn't get out i couldn't afford bail um you know it's dude it's it's, it's a slimy system man and if you if you i call it the playbook man the prosecutor these da's and prosecutors have a playbook i work in the public defender's office we see it i mean daily 
um, with our clients. Uh, they have a playbook. They know they gotcha. Yeah. They, yeah. they know they can enhance back. Um, let me see what, what can we do? What can I do? And <laughs> is that truth? Is that really how the law should be interpreted? No. And we got to recognize that there are, even with criminal history, there's mental health issues, mm-hmm. there's drug, alcohol problems, abuse, uh, that really that's the root of the problem. That's, that's the root. Not necessarily, you know, the crime comes after that. It's trauma. It's trauma. It is. It's trauma. So, trauma. Trauma is yeah. the root of all addiction. All issues is trauma. In her trauma, in her case, it was, you know, her mom had sold her to, uh, uh, basically sold her to a drug dealer when she was 14 for drugs. Yeah. Kind of. I mean, in, in, in sort of a roundabout sort of way. And then she ended up being with this guy and had no idea, you know, I mean, she's no saint. Let's, let's get that straight right now. That's, she has a, yeah. she has a lengthy criminal history. But in okay. no in no shape way way shape or form should she have gotten thirty three years because now until she once she hits ten years now she's eligible to go to a camp and she's eligible for RDAP and all these other things but she's got to put in twenty years first yeah, and way down. <laughs> and 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 here's something else well I mean I'm just gonna point this out just because this is the type of thing that we're dealing with in this uh, in this country is the guy that one of her co co conspirators got the most amount of time, but then he also was able to get his sentence reduced because one of the women that testified against him, uh, and said that she, that, that he sold her drugs, he proved that he was in prison at, at the time that, that she was saying, so it couldn't have happened. And this right. is the same, the same woman who ratted out her, but in order for her to be able to, like, if she has to have money to have a lawyer that will, because if, if that comes out, then you got a faulty witness here, you know what I mean? Who's already been caught lying here. So, I mean, there's gotta be, you know, I I don't know what to do for, you know I mean? Is there like other than, other than exposing, you know, exposing her, uh, her, uh, her crimes or her situation through a podcast. And I have a, a buddy who did it. And so, I mean, we're trying to create a chain of, of exposure here, you know, and we'll see. Like, I'm going to drop a link in the uh, in the comments here for anybody that's watching or listening to check out uh, uh, Melissa Veach's uh, uh, episode with talk from the cell block uh, from my buddy Joe Martinez. But yeah, go ahead, man. It's 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 crazy. We need to take a look at her actually her case and see. You know, did she have an effective counsel? I mean, did she have anybody? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's no. Okay, <laughs> there mm-hmm. there's just things like this. So. Uh, there's a way to take a look at that. And, but I'm going to go, I'll go back. Um, so when I was in, I saw that most women, again, low level, and it's cost 37 to 44,000 to have somebody like, you know, us when there should be other ways to do this. And part of that is something called criminal justice reform. And it's to create maybe some diversion programs and start getting traction and starting getting with the business leaders. But inside I went, okay, there's got to be something to prepare these women because they have no idea. A lot of them, you know, deer in the headlight. You don't, you don't know. You don't know what it's going to be like. You don't know what it's going to be like at the halfway house. You don't know what supervised release is going to be like. You don't know what the rules and regulations are. Drug cases are one. White collar is different. Um, so it, it, it was enough for me that when I got out, I got my paralegal and I sat for, for the bar, the, the 
paralegal bar exam. And I went to work for my criminal defense attorney. He actually believed in me so much that I went to work for him first in his law firm. And then was able to help educate him because we went back and forth going, you had no idea what I was going to be facing. You had no idea what happened to me inside. You know, I went to the shoe. I was sent to this special housing unit for 60 days uh, for writing a blog about women's safety in prison, what it was like there at the camp. Mm -hmm. I worked for the warden and he was down. (laughs) And then the reaction to that and how inept the BOP really is, I put that out there and they didn't like it too well. So they were going to give me a very severe infraction, which I was able to meet with a discipline hearing officer before, <laughs> before um, they were going to take me away. The, the shoe for women in Victorville is to take them to San Bernardino County jail. And um, he expunged my shot, but that's not what the officers did. They said, Oh, we don't know anything about that. Let's go. Mm-hmm. So threw me in solitary for 60 days, then came back and picked me up and brought me back. And then this, the, the shot was never on my record. And in fact, when I requested copies of it, said, we can't provide it to you. The BOP is dirty. We're going to get into all the different details about the fraud that they commit, um, the things that they enforce the inmates to commit fraud on their behalf. Um, Unicor, we're going to talk about that. But when I got out, I decided that you know, there's not many women prison consultants. And I want to to preface this. There's a lot of them out there that charge you thousands of dollars. I do not do that. Um, If I have anything that I have to file or work really on, then we make it appropriate, but it's not thousands of dollars. And I wanted to make that clear because somebody had pinged me on that on Facebook um, about compassionate release and COVID and, and the CARES Act right now. But to get back is I decided that there needs to be something for women. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And along the way, more educated and more women are willing to speak that are getting out, that their voices are being heard. So I, there's a tipping point that's happened where people like you will expose and talk about the, the bad Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, talk about also moving forward, um, getting help and trying to rebuild your life. And I wanted to be able to help that. So I work with a lot of women, both that's been incarcerated, aren't, but they're attorneys or can help people or working in the mental health space. Um, so that was a big deal for me. And I wrote a book about my experience. It will come out in October. It's called true injustice. And it's going to talk about everything I saw leading up to my case, everything with the prosecutor, everything with the FBI, my incarceration halfway house. What a joke that was. It didn't help anybody where I was at. And I sat there for three and a half months, even though I qualified to go to home confinement and then supervised release and how I had two really punitive probation officers that, made it almost impossible for, for me to, to work. <laughs> and then of course, repayment of restitution. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which, okay. So here's a, here, here's a crazy yeah. one. I, oh. you know, you, you, you owe almost a million dollars, right. In, yes, in, in restitution. And yep. part, and part of the problem with that is, is, you know, how are you going to pay that? You know, when you come out and you have nothing, all right. Um, you're lucky and congratulations for, for, you know, taking the initiative to 
do what most people won't do, which is go and, and, and dive into the system, which screwed you and try to make a difference by getting on the inside and learning about what it is that the problem is, you know, and you, you found a way to be able to, to put yourself in, you know, cause the law is not meant for us to understand by, by design, you know, it's, it's meant for us to like, Oh my God, what am I going to do? You know, I'm screwed. Life is, you know, it's over. And, you know, there are some people that actually, you know, guys that I, I, uh, when I was in, um, you know, they, they took the initiative and they learned the law. They spent hours in the law library and they, and they, you know, dissected their cases. And, you know, a lot of, some of them got out. They got their, their time reduced or they got a, the clemency or, well, maybe not clemency, but, uh, early, whatever they did to, to, be able to learn how to get in and out of that system because it's, it's a, it's a, it's a bear trap, man. It's like a, it's not even a bear trap. It's one of those traps where there's a pit and there's a, it's a pitfall. <laughs> yes. Like I said, there's no rehabilitative, every program that they tell the public that here, for example, um, there was a finance and it really, what it was, it was teaching women how to write a check, how to fill out a check. Is that one of those um, ACE programs? Or are those a little different? <laughs> those are a, tad, a little tad different. Yeah. But these programs don't really, or they had an Excel. And you don't touch a computer when you're inside. Everybody thinks that you're, you know, you can, oh, you're, you're emailing. Well, that's through a very archaic system as well. But these classes are, <laughs> you're, you've got a piece of paper. It shows you what a cell for Excel means. So it, it's not really setting anybody up. Plus, I think I still have the films on the earth. I actually, I have the pamphlet on this. It was how to find a job when you get out, research the yellow pages. I'm not kidding. It's that old. So <laughs> what, are just, what are those? What are those? So that <laughs> coupled with the lack of medical, there is no medical. I mean, if you've got, if you have to take insulin, that's about the only medical I ever saw is the women getting their insulin. And that, and trust me, there were times that many of them didn't. And there were horrible, horrible things that happened. Um, it, it's, uh, <laughs> I wanted to expose the fraud mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because for example, I worked for the CMS, which was construction, like a construction material group it, within the complex. And part of it was updating their fire alarm systems. And they said, and I actually had to write that we had had fire drills at the camp that the women knew where to go, what to do. We never had a fire drill. Never. So Victorville. Everything from 2015 to 16 is a lie. So, <laughs> uh, but they're audited, they're autonomous, and that's the other part that people need to understand. The Bureau of Prisons has no independent oversight. So, when they do an audit internally, um, it's the BOP auditing the BOP. So, unless you have a really good person in that position that's overseeing that audit, basically, it just goes on. That's why they are able to not respond. They have what they call deliberative permission to not have to respond. Um, and that everything's hunky dory. So every audit that I mean from, from fire drills to food, to medical, we don't see accurate information because they lie. Mm-hmm. And just like recently, the Judiciary Committee called the BOP in and wanted to talk to them about COVID. How many inmates have it? What institutions? 
what's going on because a lot of civil lawsuits were popping up with hundreds of inmates at Elkton, Pekin. And they were to explain how they were handling COVID inside. You can't social distance. They were locking, people have been locked down, locked in in 23 hours. You get one hour and you can shower Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And they're eating bologna sandwiches almost every single day. And you can't, there's no hand sanitizers, no masks. There's nothing. So the BOP owed that response and they couldn't articulate it. They said, oh, we've set up special areas. What the visitation room and you're putting people in there, locking them all in still 23 hours. What quarantining them for 14 days and taking their temperature, no test, no testing at the majority of the facilities that I have talked to people that are there. Um, they did not. And then when the, this is the funny one that I keep going back to the director of the B, one of the directors was up and was asked, what do you give people who are being transported in intake? What do you give them? What do you give them to help? They said they give them and he, he could not, articulate what they get. This is a director of the Bureau of Prisons <laughs> there to speak. And then finally he, he gathered himself. He goes, well, we give them soap. We give them some toothpaste. We give them a comb. The soap's this big people. And how long is that supposed to stop the spread of COVID? So, and everything else you have to purchase on commissary, if it's on commissary, from what I understand now, masks are starting to pop up on commissary. So that means, <laughs> at the expense of the inmates, family or friends or their own, what they make, which is nothing. And we'll get into Unicor Mm -hmm. and you know, 16 cents an hour doesn't really go far when you shampoos four bucks. So uh, these are the things that need to be exposed. It's just their program statements. They don't match to what they actually do. Um, You've got officers that aren't qualified, but because prisons are in the middle of nowhere, they take what they can get Mm -hmm. Um, and you're not dealing with the brightest bulb to begin with. <laughs> well, also not, not to, not to mention that some of these, so for people that are listening, a lot of the times these federal prisons are federal, their FCIs are federal prison complexes. Okay. And so usually you will have a camp in a big complex and that camp services everything. All right. So from maintenance to uh, sometimes even the kitchen, uh, cooking, uh, uh, everything, yard, keeping the yard uh, clipped and all that stuff. Gas lights, electric. Yep. yep. Uh, everything. The, the women at my camp, and that's what I wanted to, to probably explain, is because of the men's custody levels, medium facility, they cannot work out. Mm-hmm. They can't work outside. They, and, of course, the pen is, you, they, no, that's yeah, never going to yeah. happen. So the women go around doing everything from recycling. Really, it's not recycling. It's just trash pickup. And they have to weed through all the trash and separate it. Because the, they do make money, meaning the BOP makes money. That facility makes money off of what they can recycle. It's a, a really horrible job. <laughs> um, you've got women that are running backhoes. You've got women that are driving um, drivers, meaning they take everything from staff because it's a complex. And they'll drive the staff back and forth to the different, you know, the medium, the pen, um, everything from yard work outside to electrical, like changing the big mass light. When you say on the yard, mm-hmm. those big mass lights, Yeah, yeah. women are doing this and those are heavy things and it's hotter than hell out there. Um, it's cheap labor. 
it's how the complex runs. Um, when they're asked for their budget, they already know what they pretty much need and what they put in for. And they know that their, their labor is, it's not officers. They say it's officers pay and they're paying these officers exorbitant amount of money to manage a low level offender like me. So I can go out there and change the mass light. Um, can't, it's got to change that, that whole part. And the solution is, is to go way back and not start, not to sentence these people to begin with or put them in a program and have that funds go to that program, not to the prison. And these prisons are growing at the cyclic rate people. Um, we're not talking about lowering the population. The population is still increasing. Yeah. We're going to see a small dip because everything's frozen right now and people aren't being sentenced. So, of course, the BOP will spend it that, oh, and so will the DOJ saying, oh, look, you know, <laughs> you know, inmate is, is down warehousing. But these women also work in these complexes. They typically have something called uniform. Mm-hmm. And what that is is there are corporations out in the United States that will contract for prison labor. And women uh, are paid a higher rate, which is usually a dollar, dollar to ten. <laughs> Woo. <laughs> compared to 16 cents a day. Yeah, yeah. Um, but these are contracts that, for example, my former company, Hewlett Packard, had hired, contracted through Unicor to refurbish printers. Mm-hmm. Um, Under Armour was having people sew. Um, you know, this is sweatshop mentality. This is horrific. They, the Unicor system made $500 million last year, 500 million off these contracts on top, $500 million. And you're paying a person a dollar 10 to do this. And that means these companies therefore support slave labor, slave labor, excuse me. So that is a very big eye-opening thing that people should really pay attention to when they're going to purchase something. Um, you're purchasing things that were probably possibly done by an inmate. And I don't, I, that's just not, that's not right. Um, no, no. It, it, it's, it, women are getting, yeah. It, it's not, it's not, a, yeah, it's, it's not right. And, and so one thing that uh, uh, Melissa was telling me, she works in Unicorn and she says that lately, she, they've been working 12 hours a day, 12 hour shifts with hardly any breaks, hot as hell in there. There's no air conditioning, no anything. Uh, she works at a, on a heat press and she's, pre- and she's pressing, uh, uh, flags or eagles on air force shorts. Okay. And we also, yeah, it's, we had women doing paint and blasting work on, uh, Humvees for the military. Jesus. So not only so so they're making five hundred million just in the Unicor, getting forty four thousand per inmate per day uh, per per year, right? Per year. And and, and, and the only program. people the only the only professional kind of help that they have there is you have the people that work like the the officers that are probably I don't even know if they're qualified electricians because i know that there's one like they have uh one officer for each each thing right and so you so you may have in a like how many how many what would would you say a staff is for the uh for everybody like maybe 150 
staff members per institution, 200, 250 maybe? About 250 at Victorville because there's over 5,100 on the whole complex. And yeah, it's... (laughs) So essentially, if they just use Unicor, they could fund the whole thing without, without taxpayer money, right? You know, and and that would make a lot more sense than charging us forty four thousand dollars per person to to house to warehouse human beings, basically what you're doing. With no help whatsoever, no rehabilitation, no nothing. You might get your GED, you might be able to, you know, get if you can actually get to one of the one of the places that has the ace deals because not every single one of them has something that's going to offer you uh like barbershop or cosmetology something that you can take to take out with when you go um that it's horrible man it's horrible i didn't get any help there but i was only there for like 18 months i wasn't there for a very long time but i mean when i was fighting my case in uh in uh you know and that, that's another another thing in itself man about a contract facility you know there's tons of these contract facilities all over the place when i was uh going from my my state bid and i paroled out to the feds i had a 3 month diesel therapy uh <laughs> diesel that's therapy hard. ride from las vegas that's went to Went to Florence, Arizona. If you know about Florence, that's a, that's a city in itself. It has nine prisons. The whole city is nothing but a prison town. And everybody that work, lives in that city works at the prison. I went to Victorville, stayed in Victorville for, for two weeks, got stuck, got, and they don't let you out at all. Yeah. You don't get to go out when you're in transit, you know, cause you're a, I, who knows? It's just, I mean, a lot of problems. We know that there's a lot of problems. So like, what are some of the, some of the solutions that we can, that we can get to, 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 I mean, aside from what I'm doing and what you're doing, like at a, at a federal level, how can we, how can we make a change aside from burning down the whole system and starting from scratch, which is going to take, take overthrowing the government to do that. (laughs) Right. So there's two ways to look at it. Um, for solution-based is when I was talking about these programs, it's, it's to get the public to understand, you know, most of my friends would have always have always said, Hey, you do the crime, you do the time. You have to understand what it's all about when it, when it goes down. So it's education of really what, what I was explaining, like with my case. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's to create these programs, get the money funded, not carve off even under the DOJ but put more programs in actual value programs that don't send them to the camp or don't send them to prison, put them in almost like a halfway house atmosphere for drug rehabilitation, alcohol rehabilitation, mental health. If you've been through again, sexual abuse, any type of trauma, we do it in Dallas County. We have some diversion programs and once the, and they're very successful and there's only six across the United States. So if we can apply something like that into the federal system where prosecutors have the ability to, to recognize somebody's criminal history as well as what their life really is, read that damn PSR, and put somebody in a program, get them back out, get them the help and skills they need. Programs take money. It's always about the almighty dollar. It's to shift the mindset And with the the DOJ side of this, 
is the only way to make change is again to go to your congressperson to enact a law to make the change. And we have to start with sentencing guidelines. We have to start with also prosecutorial overreach and their type of immunity. They have immunity. They're pretty much untouchable. Um, We've got to change that where they're held accountable. And uh, if they do something wrong, that they're either fired or themselves can, you know, be brought up on charges. Uh, We've got, those are the two areas that we have, again, it's all about education to like my neighbors to explain to them. And they're like, Oh, okay. You know, that makes sense. Instead of pumping when the BOP asks, I need, you know, $1.2 billion this year to run all the facilities. Yeah. Yeah. Well, (laughs) that's payroll and keeping the lights on and keeping somebody in warehouse for 44,000, you know, up to 44,000 a year. Um, those are the only two ways that I see. And that's with criminal justice reform. Cause people are always asking, well, give me a solution. Don't complain about it. You can tell me everything that happened to you. And I tell them and they're like, okay, but how then do we, we do this? So we do this by a lot of nonprofits that are starting, um, are trying to support this and get traction again with religious leaders in the community, um, other mental health agencies, any drug rehabilitative programs, trying to put it together and maybe a test run to show how successful it would be. Then it would prove to the public some more funding can be brought out. So those are the things that with the women that I speak with, they're trying to get the word out and trying to do this. But again, a lot of people, only think of themselves and they think of inmates, you know, kind of last or, Hey, you're a felon. We've got to change the mindset about that. Everybody deserves a second chance, sometimes third chance, fourth chance, a human being, the human being, we can't throw them away. Well, you just got to look at a, look at a child and how long it takes them and how many times they have to fall down and get up before they can learn how to walk. Um, yeah. we, we are the same way, uh, when it comes to addiction, I mean, I struggled with it. I relapsed and fell down a bunch of times. I mean, actually I have maybe 15 to 18 years of, of falling down and getting back up before I realized that, Oh, wow. You know, maybe I should just start walking, you know, and, and, and something, and something clicks, you know, you just, you never know when it's going to be, uh, that's the problem with addiction, but the way that we are dealing with it. And in a shame, in a punishment, in a, you know, we should be coming at it from a compassionate, uh, sense and giving these people connection, not separation from society. Uh, there's a- yeah. yeah, we do. We need to do that. And the other piece, I mean, there's so many pieces. I keep saying this and another piece, another piece, but you know, there, everybody runs into problems such as trying to find a job. So we need to find how can we help people releasing find a job to help satisfy the requirements for supervised release. Um, how can we find housing? Because apartment complexes do not rent to felons. Mm-hmm. You fill out the application, pay the fee, and they're going to deny you. They're going to hit your background. So most people have to find somebody that is independent, you know, that won't run one and is willing to rent to you. Uh, that's not a fix. So, I had talked with Tynese Hall. She had received clemency from President Trump this year. And that's what her biggest thing was. She said, you know what? I have nothing. I had nothing. Even though she got clemency, you know, this big name. Yeah, yeah. And she and she's working two jobs right now. Um, 
And it's taken so many things for her to, because she didn't have the money for first, last month's and She just got out of prison. So that, it, that's, a, that's a big fix too. Yeah, that that's where I'm focused on. Like you're, you're, you're focused sort of on the, on, on getting people and, you know, you're going to, and, and the reform aspect of it, my aspect of it is in reentry and okay. giving people the, the tools that they need when they come out to succeed. All right. Because what a lot of times, you know, when you're, when you're in these, uh, environments, you know, and, and you're completely, your case is completely different. You weren't a criminal. I was, you know, so I, I they, they, I, I deserved what I got. You know, I was, I was lucky. I only got like 18 months, but, uh, you know, the problem was, is that I had, had, had learned all of these behaviors to be able to maneuver in that lifestyle. All right. And then when you go to prison, you still have you, those, those behaviors don't go away because you're in a small criminal environment. So they help you to, to be able to navigate while you're in prison. Right. right. And so, when I got out, I mean, it was such a, a, a shock because there was a clash between the way that my attitude and my behavior still were and society, they didn't mix, right? So you got to figure out how to change the behaviors to be able to operate in regular society, you know, not, you know, you want to be taken seriously, then don't talk ghetto or, you know, don't talk the way that, you know, you would normally talk when you're in prison to other people don't, you know, you're going to, you're going to deal with people. I was in uh, I got into construction. So you're going to deal with individuals that don't have respect for you and you can't. And, and I have struggled with this cause I'm like, you know, I'm a big dude, like a small, like a decent sized linebacker. And I have a, a young kid talking down to me as, as my uh, uh, supervisor, Right. You know, and, and yeah. that's difficult. So these are the things you have to teach these people that are coming out to be able to integrate into society, be successful, set them up to, to succeed and not to fail. The system, the system is designed to set you up to fail from the gate. Once you get out, they put all yeah. these demands on you. You have to do this. You have to do that. You have to be here, have to be there. Go piss test here. Do this, do that, do that. Blah, 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 blah. And if you don't have a support system when you're outside, you are going to fail. And if you don't fail, you're going to say, you know what? This is too hard. Screw it. I might as well go back. And that's what the revolving door. But see, the other part of this is they want you back. I know. They don't have a problem with this. They want you back. <laughs> they, they're fine. They're like, come on back. Come on. So we got a, we got a exactly, bed for you. <laughs> that's exactly what one of the officers did. Said. Yep. I'll see this you is, in about a year. This is good today. Mm-hmm. He said, this is good today. So they're expecting that. So that tells me right there. They know as well the rehabilitative stuff in there. So to do that, it's going to take a lot of us collectively getting together. It, chain, it takes a while, but we all have to figure out our local or state, whatever we can do. And so a lot of the women that I've been talking with, um, you know, all in different cities are trying to pull those resources together. So we have some form of something that they can call or contact. Again, it's really hard. Yeah, it is because I mean, you have so many, you have so many responsibilities when you get out the last, you know, the last thing that you're thinking about is how can I help? How can I help? It's just like, how can I survive? You know, now, now that I'm in this, I'm out, 
You know, it's, it's not easy. Um, I was thinking about, I was trying to figure out how I could go about doing this. And it, to me, it just seems like either I need to partner up with a nonprofit or I need to start my own nonprofit, uh, and, and design a program and design a mentorship program, uh, for that, you know, and it, it just takes a, a time. This is hard. This is the, it takes time. It takes, you know, filling out the form. If you possibly get a grant, then you have to write it for a grant. There are is grant. There are funds out there, but that all takes a while. And you know, people don't have a while. Yeah. <laughs> so I commend you because this is you're starting to talk about things that people need to know. Yeah. And the more you network, the more people pay attention, and the more you know. Hey, maybe I can help, or hey, you know, I have somebody that can do this. And that's what I've noticed that's made a big difference. Yeah, that's what somebody told me too. Uh, one of my family members are like, you know, you don't always have to do everything yourself. <laughs> you know, it's it, hard to delegate sometimes. You're like, oh, maybe somebody else can help me. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like you have you have you have an idea in your head, and you just like I don't I don't I can't articulate to you what I want, but I know what I want here, mm-hmm. and. It's just sometimes it's easier just to like, no, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. You know, and, and then, and then the mountain just becomes so overwhelming that you're like, oh, well, maybe I'll do it later. Yeah. (laughs) And then later never comes. It doesn't, does it? No, I know. So, um, one other part is you had brought up my restitution and for people to know that, I was ordered to pay $3,000 a month when I was turned over to supervised release. <sighs> One, I had to find a job with all those obstacles and being a felon. And two, I didn't make $3,000 a month. And my probation officer was so punitive. I said, well, I don't know what you're going to do. You're going to have to figure it out. Maybe your husband can pay. <laughs> He's been supportive of you. They're not supposed to do that. But they do. Uh-huh, and this uh-huh. is the crap they play. And uh, of course he wasn't going to pay it. (laughs) And I had to, I had to actually go back and take on the financial litigation unit, which is their United States attorneys as well Mm -hmm. and go battle it out with them saying here again, here's what I make. Here's what I got. So I was able to get it down to 600 a month, which is still pretty, pretty steep for, you know, somebody that doesn't clear that. (laughs) Yeah. That's a car payment. you know, you're trying to live. Yeah. But, uh, those are big obstacles there. And not only that, but just because I'm, I'm a white collar case, it didn't matter. Still had urinary UAs, urinary analysis. I still had to go in and provide those, even though the drug case. So a lot of people get confused. Hey, white collar, why are you still doing that? Or why are you doing that? Um, those there's going to be change in that area too. Yeah. Because yeah. These they got autonomy. So, yeah, there's a you know it, there's just there's so many things right now that I mean if you look across the board at what's happening, I mean they're just they just shut down the chop today. Uh, they're yeah. cle- they're clearing out those those folks, and I I mean I think that that was if they could have done that a little bit differently, I think it could have got a lot more traction. But I mean you're you're these people don't want to lose power. That's the, that's the, the thing. They don't want to lose power. We are the, we are the cogs in the wheel that make the, 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 the machine go. 
and the five percent because you know everyone says oh the one percent the two percent nope it's about it's a smaller it's a smaller sliver of people that that really control everything like the Bilderbergs the Rothschilds the the old money names that right. trilateral commission the uh, the UN the the World Health Organization all of these things if you really look at who who's on the boards of those who's oh. really running the show oh. what are using and how they use it for you know we as sheeple human beings mm-hmm. just you know and how they're manipulating everything they have the ability to crash economies they have the ability to crash monetary systems all they got to do is just shift some money from here to there and then they and then and then it's like an octopus right you got eight legs of it so you know these people over in this sector they're like all right well this is what we're going to do so here go the people that that uh that run the media because how do you how do you herd the sheeple you use the media you sure do. Just like the BOP uses their communication person. I want that job because you know what they do? They just write a paragraph and send it out and everybody eats it. Yeah. <laughs> but it's true. It, we've got lots of problems, mm-hmm. lots of things to fix. And, um, I think the a- good thing about it is, though, is that people are starting to wake up. The, 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 the wizard, the, the wizard of Oz is the, the curtains getting pulled back. And people are starting to see, hey, I don't like this. I I thought I was free, but I don't think I am. <laughs> we're we're free ish, but once you get once you get out of line, just like the BOP, once you once you cross that line and start, you know, you you got a shot because you exposed something. Oh well, you know, we're gonna coerce, we're gonna coerce you to shut your mouth. You want to you wanna do that again? Well, next time it'll be four months. Well, my, my actual thing was, oh, just wait till the book comes out. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least we got soldiers like, like, like myself and you and, yes. uh, and, and Daniel, Daniel Barron, yes. who's, who's, you know, decrim or what decentralized everything. And, uh, I hope that that, uh, sent what it was, um, uh, uh, direct democracy and decentralizing everything, uh, voting for solutions wow. instead of, uh, you know, let's get, get rid of those people. Cause well, like every, said, yeah, uh, we talked about it. Just get rid of the Congress person. Why do I have to go to them to enact a law? Why can't I get a group of people in Texas and we vote on it and it passes? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Don't need, don't need that. Just no. present the, you cut that all out. There well, it's going to be very hard for corporations to, to <laughs> entice, entice a, an app. You know, or pay off an app or, you know, back a backdoor deal, you know, which I really think that these judges are getting paid on the back yeah. end. You know yeah. what I mean? They're, they're, yeah. and they've, they've been exposed before. Remember the, the juveniles that they were shipping off and giving them ungodly amount of times and the, and the judge got busted. You think yeah. that's an isolated case? No. Hell no. The other ones no. just didn't get caught yet. Performance and they have performance incentives as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Everybody has a metric that they have to to go against. So I mean, these judges are looked at year by year, and they do get performance bonuses. Mm-hmm. And those are based on again how many sentences, or what percentage, what was in their courtroom. So yeah, they do get paid yeah. additional from their salary. <laughs>
Yeah, off, off of, you know, what's sending somebody to prison. Oh, it's just, <laughs> my grandmother's always, you know, everybody, follow, it's the almighty dollar. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, follow, follow, follow the money, man. And if yeah. you, and, and, and that, and that money trail will lead you to one corporation, which is a, a, under an umbrella for five other corporations, which is under another umbrella for 17 other corporations. So it's like, it's just a labyrinth of, of a maze that you have to Why go through. In prison. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. Why are they in prison? No, they should be. And and be. the crazy thing is, is that okay? Well, you want to RICO some of these people and do a, a seventeen count indictment, and just because you were the leader, so I mean, why didn't? Why did we? What happened in uh, two thousand eight? Why did only one person go to prison? One banker went to prison. This. I can guarantee you this right now. 08, we saw the housing bubble. We saw, I saw a lot of low level, again, people were doing escrow and closing and they went to prison. Low, I mean, again, one count of wire fraud. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Should never have been in prison and had four or five years. Yeah. Um, and then now with people taking the small business loans based on the COVID, these SBA loans, we're going to see these prosecutors going, hmm, let's take a look at some of the fraud in here. So we see this big wave of things like that with the housing market. And then all of a sudden we had an influx of a lot of people that were in real estate or mortgage transactions go to prison. Yeah. But you didn't so, see that. You didn't see the owners of the banks. Uh, what, what is it? What was the big one? The big yeah. bank? Well, Fargo. Well, they did. They did the other thing. That was pretty criminal. Yeah. What they did, and they they charged all those people and had uh, all kinds of stuff going on there. But it was uh, what was a big bank. It was the Goldman Sachs. Oh yes, Goldman Sachs. Goldman yes. Sachs was the the big perpetrator there, and the heads of Goldman Sachs. Do you know where they're at now? I think they're in one of these uh, one of these things that I mentioned. Either the Trilateral Commission, they're on the board there. Vice presidents of of other uh, nonprofits yeah. that are. Moved on up. Yeah, well, they got rewarded, is what they did. Well, yeah, you know. They, they well, look at the look at the person who's running the the compassionate release for step acts in the BOP. He was the warden that was over where what's his name got killed. Um, Epstein. Okay. Okay. Warden was moved over to the BOP to run the first step act. Are you kidding? But, no, I'm not kidding. That's 100%. He is the person tapped to help manage the First Step Act. Complete. Did you think he would have gotten a demotion from what happened on in his facility in MDC? What was it, Manhattan? And uh, yeah. No, no, he didn't. He didn't. You want to know why? Because he saved the ass of all of the politicians that went to that damn island. Yes, he did. And that's his reward. So <laughs> people don't know that, but you were just, that's why it was so puzzling to me going, this is not a demotion. Really? Yeah. Never had him running the first step back for us. Oh, but that's and a conspiracy. Fun. That's a conspiracy theory. Well, you know yeah. what? A lot of conspiracies have a lot of truth to them. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, <laughs> <sighs> well, Hey, you know what? We're at about yeah. 55 minutes. And, okay. and, uh, you know, I think, I think we got about, uh, as much as we can cover on this without, you know, complaining too much more about what the problems <laughs> are. 
I mean, you know, there's only there's only slight solutions to some of these problems, but most, you know, and there are a lot of problems. But if we just keep doing what we're doing and putting our foot one foot in front of the other and keep reaching out, keep connecting to people, keep bringing people into the conversation, throwing stuff out there like Facebook Live, we've had tons of people, well not tons, but more than I thought we're going to we're going to join along today. Um, you know, and we just keep doing this so important what you're doing yeah very much we, that you're 100 right very important and then all and then also too i mean if you if you wouldn't mind uh you know i'll give you uh uh, uh melissa's information and uh you know i'm gonna take a look at that yeah any 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 anything that you can uh you know j- advice you know direction yeah, that you okay. can have me you know get her and uh uh, you know, if I can give you her contact information as well, you know, we'll, we'll figure something out, but you know, I just finished her, her recordings last night. I think we did four, four separate calls, uh, throughout yesterday. It's only 10 minutes, 10 minutes a piece. And so mm-hmm. we're able to get something out of there, but I put a link in the, uh, in the, the comments here, uh, to her episode that she did on the talk from the cell block. And then hopefully, you know, you, you can check that out, listen to her, her story from him and, uh, we'll see what we can do. And then I definitely want to stay in contact with you. Cause I, what I really would like to do at some point is get a group discussion together, like maybe once a month with leaders in the prison reform and, uh, you know, some nonprofit people, other people that are doing things that, that revolve around, uh, you know, inmates and reentry and all of that stuff, just to same thing. Like, yeah, like there are so many that, yeah, are ready to, to get out there and help be on a panel. I was just, again, on a couple of zoom meetings last night. So yeah, there are people who, again, somebody might benefit from, from their information. Yeah. So. And, and if you have, you know, ones that you think that I would fit, l- let me know, man, I'd be happy to, to hop in and, uh, and, and listen and, you know, try to learn. And if I can offer any of my own, uh, you know, solutions or, or insight, I'd be more than happy to, man. Cause this is something that, this is something that's like close to my heart, man. Cause I've been through it. I know what it's like. And, uh, I was lucky. Uh, I had a support system when I got out, so I was able to navigate my way through. And it, and it, dude, I got out in 2006, and I and I wasn't done until 2010. And you know, there is just so many different things out there right now available to people to better yourselves, from podcasts to programs to all kinds of stuff. So it just, you know, the more that we can centralize information and make it accessible to people that are, are coming out. So they have like a, they have something to, to go to, to go to, to be able to say, okay, this person or this organization. Yeah. 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 So I want to thank you for taking the time today and, uh, and, and talking with me and, you know, telling me your story and, you know, getting this stuff out there, man, it's very important. Um, you know, and, and, and one of, one other aspect that I, I, didn't didn't bring up but i i think is important that people need to understand is that prison guards are doing time too all right the only difference is is they get to go home but if you know of somebody that's a prison guard they have to deal with traumatic stuff too right and so that's why you see a lot of them that are alcoholics or drug addicts they abuse their wives or they're you know they're abusive 
where, where does that where does what you see because that's trauma too man when you're when you're when you're housing misery do you think it's not gonna it's not gonna get on you <laughs> oh yeah i mean my my food service manager yeah he was a drunk came in every day horrible marriage bad kids problems yeah and yeah. then came in to get down on the women so they're I mean, doing yeah, and then they need they need their own kind of. I mean, not not that I want to like you know cater to to them, but I mean it's part of the problem. You know, if they were getting some of the kind of help that they needed, you know, maybe counseling through through the BOP because you're exposing us to this. You know, maybe maybe they would treat people a little bit better. You would think. You would okay. hope. You would think. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, it, it, it takes a certain type of person to want to be a, 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 a gatekeeper to misery. So I don't know, maybe, maybe it won't help. <laughs> yeah, still not like it. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. Well, Holly, thank you again. I appreciate it. And we will stay in contact and, uh, I'll be in, in touch. Okay. Thank you. All right. Bye. Thank you for listening to the show and thanks Holly. I really appreciate that conversation and uh you know all that you're doing in the prison reform space. As always, you can find Holly's information and my own in the show notes. Don't forget to subscribe, rate and review on your favorite podcast platform. Don't forget to go to the Facebook group which is called Mindset and Overcoming Life Challenges. All you got to do is type in Mindset in the uh, search bar in Facebook, and mine would be the first one that'll pop up in groups. That's pretty much all I have. Hope everybody is uh, staying safe out there. And until next time, keep it 100, stay true to yourself, everything else is just noise. (laughs) 